When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kevin, what's going on, my guy? You know, booling it, sitting here chilling on a Wednesday, kind of waiting for the finals to start, just getting that inchy anticipation. But we do have, you know, an NHL massive playoff game between our two teams, so we'll get into that briefly. But how's your Wednesday going? Finally a day off for you, huh? I know. The last couple of days have been hectic, to say the least. But uh, no, it was a good day to recover and just a good day to sit back down over here and get these topics going. You ready to dive into this? But of course. All right. So like Kevin said, uh, we got a couple topics on the agenda. Uh, First things first, we'll go over the upcoming NBA Finals matchup between the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. Uh, The first segment's just going to be our predictions for how this series is going to play out. After that, we'll dive into who we think is going to win Finals MVP. And then outside of that, there's not there's no other NBA topics that we have on the, the top of our minds right now. So we'll pretty much just kind of leave the NBA discussions at that. After that, we'll kick it over to what Kevin had mentioned. We'll talk a little bit about the ongoing series between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Rangers. Uh, game one started on Wednesday night. So we'll just kind of give our thoughts on how we see the series playing out. And then we'll kick it over to NFL for the last segment. Uh, some unfortunate news. Out of Texas, um, Marion Barber used to play for the Dallas Cowboys uh, probably over a decade ago. Uh, unfortunately, passed away at the age of 38. Details are still kind of coming out about uh, his death. He was found dead in his apartment uh, this afternoon. So basically, Kevin and I are just going to give our thoughts and just what we could say about the tragic news coming out of Texas in regards to Marion Barber's death. So with that said, Um, that's the agenda that we have for you guys. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this NBA Finals matchup between the Warriors and the Celtics. So NBA Finals start on Thursday night. Game one will take place in San Francisco. How we got here, I'll just be kind of brief with it. Uh, The Warriors were solid in the Western Conference Finals against the Dallas Mavericks. They won that series in five games. And then to kick it over to the Celtics, uh, the Celtics had a pretty... Solid battle against the Miami Heat. The Celtics came out on top, winning Game 7 on the road in Miami to propel them to the NBA Finals after beating the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, We got two great teams. We got one of the best offenses in the NBA with the Golden State Warriors. And then to kick it over to the other side, Boston is one of the most, what I would consider one of the most equally distributed teams as, as far as how they play offense, how they play defense. They're very level on both sides of the court, but really their defense has been one of the biggest reasons on why they've gotten to this point, knowing that they are one of the best defenses in the NBA. So without further ado, let's get into these predictions. Kevin, I'll kick this one to you. Who do you think is going to win the NBA Finals and why? So I'm just going to go and just 
be straight up like I always have. I think Golden State takes this in six. Kyle was actually telling me before we had started recording that, you know, Boston is actually starting to become favored and Golden State is an underdog. And that narrative is a little confusing. I feel like it should be the other way around, especially because Golden State is the veteran team. They have been here five, six times already. And you kind of look at it and you say, why are they... It's besides the point. You know, it's a little confusing, but it is what it is. Narratives, betting, Vegas, all these different things that, you know, uh, casters and then influencers like to kind of put out there. But it is what it is. Um, the reason I say Golden State in six is not for the reason that people are probably thinking, oh, he's probably just going to go and say Clay and Steph are going to pop off at 30 apiece. Not at all what I'm saying. The reason I'm saying it is because I have questions to Boston's health. Marcus Smart has been dealing with that nagging ankle injury for the last series and a half. You also have Robert Williams, who's been dealing with that knee injury over the course of the entire postseason, who's been in and out of some games over the last series in and of itself. So you also look and you say, well, Boston's very big. Golden State plays small. Can Al Horford and Robert Williams play against the death lineup that Golden State has when it's Jordan Poole, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green at the five? Will they be able to keep up in transition? But then you can counter that and say, well, will, will, be, will Golden State be able to guard in the post? So Golden State being one of the faster teams in the NBA, if not the fastest team, especially in transition, I don't necessarily have faith that Boston is going to be able to make those adjustments, especially with an injury-prone defensive anchor that is Robert Williams. Now, if they actually decide to go the big route with Kavon Looney, and I'm talking in reference to Golden State, I don't necessarily know if Golden State is going to be able to combat those two defensive anchors down low because Looney isn't necessarily an offensive threat. So I don't know if Boston's going to have to make adjustments, double at the top of the key. Obviously, you have to pick up Steph Curry in the parking lot when you... <laughs> When it comes to guarding him. So it's going to be one of those matchups where Marcus Smart is probably going to follow him all over the court. And over the recent, what, I want to say five or six games, I sent Kyle the statistic on Twitter. I believe Steph has a total of maybe like 30 some odd points, uh, 30% from the three point line. And he's just, you know, he's got more assists, excuse me, he's got more turnovers and assists in those matchups. I know there's a regular season statistics because they never met in the postseason, but that is something to keep an eye of. I think that's going to be a massive marquee matchup for the entire series because of the intensity that Marcus brings, because of that presence, that physical nuisance that he is, similar to a Gary Payton, which he gets a lot of comparisons for um, recently in his past couple of years in his career. I think Steph Curry's just looking for that 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 fourth championship, man. I think the Golden State Warriors are more than prepared to come out here, and they've been on a hiatus over the last couple of seasons. They've had some bad years. They've had some injury-ridden years. Uh, I think that Steph and Clay are finally going to get into that rhythm. I think that Draymond Green being the catalyst and that anchor uh, on that defensive side, as well as faci facilitating the basketball, I think that that's going to bode well for Golden State, especially because of the experience. Uh, I think that's going to help them kind of take over this series. Now, that's not to discredit Boston and the phenomenal play of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and so many other players. But again, with this being their first time on this big stage, I don't necessarily know if they're going to be able to overcome the difficulties and maybe even the pregame jitters and the nerves. But I've been wrong before. Both of us have been wrong in our predictions, but I will say confidently that I believe the Golden State will be hoisting up the Larry O'Brien trophy after game six. Kevin, I'm in a similar sentiment with you. Uh, I have Golden State winning in seven games, uh, not six like you stated, uh, just because I do think that Boston's going to be able to really give Golden State a run for its money here. But I'm siding with the championship pedigree that Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green have. This team is just solid from top to bottom. And I think that's going to be the difference maker when it comes into the series. Now, when I look at Golden State, 
the Golden State pretty much dispatched the Dallas Mavericks uh, pretty quickly in five games. Really one of the most impressive aspects about that was just the production that they were able to get from multiple players outside of like Steph and Clay. Because usually that's the two players that we focus on in particular. But I mean, one of the biggest factors in that series against Dallas for Golden State was Kavon Looney. Kavon Looney, even though that he's not somebody that is flashy, he's not somebody that's going to end up on like the top 10 most plays or the top 10 plays for SportsCenter every night. But he is great for what Golden State runs as far as just being a defensive anchor, getting rebounds and getting timely shots in the paint when he gets those opportunities. There were multiple games against Dallas where he was getting 10, 15, sometimes even close to 20 rebounds against Dallas. Now, granted, the Mavericks really didn't have a big to counteract him, so Golden State took advantage of that. But Kevon Looney was huge in that series against Dallas. And I do think that even though that Boston has, I think, more requisite pieces to go up against Kevon Looney with Al Horford and Robert Williams, I still think that Kevon Looney is going to be a solid player to go to as far as just his defensive presence goes for Golden State here. The only way that I think Boston can be able to counteract that is if Al Horford is actually knocking down some mid-range jumpers. Al Horford could definitely be a big piece for Boston here if Boston uses him properly. That could definitely put Golden State in a bind when it comes to Golden State's ability to use Kevon Looney throughout certain parts of the game. And then when I look at the matchup of just the superstars on both teams, when you look at Jason and Jalen compared to Stephen Clay, I, I mean, both duos are just dynamic in their own way. Uh, Boston's, when I look at those two specifically, I mean, Jason is just an amazing scorer. Jalen's one of the best two-way players in the game. Really, his defensive presence is really what stood out to me against that series in Miami when they beat the Heat in seven games. And then when you kick it over to Golden State, I mean, Steph's the greatest shooter in NBA history. Clay Thompson's one of the most prolific three-point shooters that we've ever seen in NBA history. And when I look at these two versus two going at it, I'm going to favor Steph and Clay in this one just because even though that I respect Boston's ability to be able to defend pretty consistently, not throughout the season, but really in these playoff runs as well, I just think that Steph and Clay are going to be just in that championship mode where they're going to be able to carry Golden State to the promised land. And one thing that I want to focus on, the reason why I think that Golden State, another reason why I think Golden State will win the series is I don't think that Boston is going to be able to keep up defensively with what the Warriors are going to present them. The one thing that I focused on specifically when the Warriors played the Mavs was there's a certain element that we always focus on, and that's just ball movement on the offensive side of the court. So they're always, you know, finding five or six passes, and then eventually on like that fifth or sixth pass, they finally get somebody a good look to take a shot. But there's another thing that you have to kind of keep in mind is the player movement when those plays are ongoing in real time. Dallas had a very difficult time of being able to keep up with all of the players constantly moving in rotation or moving to their specific spots that they needed to get to. And I do think that if Golden State gets hot in this series, I think that's one thing that they could really kind of nail down Boston with just because I don't think Boston can be able to go toe-to-toe with just the overall player movement, unless they really lock down Steph and Clay, and they force Golden State into a situation where they're going to have to have guys like Draymond Green, uh, Jordan Poole, uh, Kevon Looney. We'll see what happens with Gary Payton II 
He is rumored to come back in this series as well. So that's really, I think, Boston's only way to be able to win this series is if they force Steph and Clay to have bad games and put those role players with Golden State in a position to carry the Warriors to a championship. I just don't see that happening. I think Golden State, they are well-equipped to handle Boston here. Even though that I do think that Boston is going to go toe-to-toe with them in this series, I think when it gets back to Game 7 in San Francisco at the Chase Center, I think it's going to be Golden State all the way. Um, it's going to be a very fun series. I'm definitely happy with how this playoff matchup ended up coming to be. Uh, both teams deserve to be here. And I think when it's all said and done, though, I think that Golden State is going to be ho- hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy, like Kevin just stated a couple of minutes ago. That's just how I see it. I mean, we talked about this last episode. This is probably one of the more exciting finals matchups we've seen in a while, in just a couple of years. And that's not to discredit any of the previous couple of finals over the last few years. But you look at it and you say, well, you know, like Milwaukee and Phoenix had its narrative with Giannis winning his first championship and CP3 chasing his eluded championship over the last almost two decades. You go to the finals before that and you say, well, well, actually... Who was in the finals before Milwaukee? I'm actually drawing a blank right it here. Was Tor- I thought it was Toronto. No, no, no Toronto it was, was no, it, was my, it was Miami. Miami was in the bubble, remember? Oh, right. That was the bubble championship. You look at 2020 and you say, well, that was the bubble. It's got the asterisk with it. A lot of people don't really want to credit that and kind of give them the, 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 the roses and flowers that they rightfully deserve. A championship is still a championship. And then you look at the last competitive finals, which in my opinion, again, not to discredit the, older, the other ones, which was Toronto. And um, obviously Golden State, which the irony is Golden State is back now that they're fully healthy and reloaded because the matchup was Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant. The matchup was Kyle Lowry and Siakam versus Clay, And obviously, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, Steph and all these different things. And you said that they fe- they feared up or they, they, they hoisted up a good matchup against one another. So now I'm excited because you have dominant ball defenders and obviously Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum has emerged as a premier defender this year. And then you obviously have Marcus Smart, the defending player of the year of defensive player of the year against two of the greatest shooters of all time against the upcoming and finally kind of like, I guess, developed Andrew Wiggins. Draymond Green is finally healthy. Doesn't have to go out there and give you anything flashy in terms of points, but you know, he does what he needs to do. And effectively at that, might I add, you are getting Jordan Poole, a third or fourth year emerging star who's coming off the bench and doing all the things that he needs to do right. It's just, it really is like a, a legitimate matchup of defense and offense. And both of their teams obviously have the capability to do the opposite. Golden State has played solid defense in the postseason at times, and there have been offensive greatness flashes from Jason and Jalen to show that they can also do it on both ends as well. I'm just praying and I'm just saying because the postseason has been very weird lately. I'm hoping there aren't any blowouts. I want each yeah. game to be close. I don't mm-hmm. want it to be Golden State opens up the first game and they smack Boston by 25. Then, you know, like Boston narrows the gap and then they blow them out by 15. You know what I'm saying? I just, I, yeah. I really want competitive spirit. I want it to be back and forth. Well, that's what kind of made the whole Boston-Miami game seven so compelling because it was relatively a close game, even though that Boston was winning that game predominantly by like eight to 10 points, at least at the end of the game in game seven, Miami kind of made a huge run to get it close. Yeah. For God's sakes. I mean, they were one Jimmy Butler three away from potentially going to the NBA finals. So, I mean, that's how close it came down to in game seven. It's just like, when I look back at the the golden state Mavericks series, 
there were competitive games. It's just that the Mavericks really just couldn't be able to keep up with what Golden State presented them. That's not a slight on Dallas. I mean, nobody really even expected Dallas to make it this far in the playoffs this year. But it's like you're going up against a team that has championship pedigree. Golden State is relatively healthy uh, when it comes to their core group of guys. I mean, Gary Payton II is uh, the lone exception. But it's tough to go up against a team that's been there and done that before. Especially, you know, with a team like Dallas that has never been to the Western Conference Finals since over a decade ago. But, you know, the, the main thing that I'm focused on with this finals matchup between the Warriors and the Celtics is... Like Kevin stated, I want it to be a, a more competitive series. But I, the one thing that I want to see, uh, specifically from Boston, is can they, you know, rise to the occasion? I mean, I picked them in seven games. I, I picked Golden State to win in seven games. Just because I picked that, that doesn't mean that's actually going to happen. This could be a situation where maybe Boston is not ready for the spotlight yet. Maybe the lights are going to be a little bit too bright, even though that they made it this far. Playing in a finals is a completely different scenario. The amount of pressure that is going to be on these guys to be able to not only perform, but to be able to execute effectively. All these stakes get risen to a whole new level. Golden State, they've been here multiple times. This is their sixth finals appearance in eight years. This is Boston's first finals appearance since 2010. And this is a completely new core of Celtics players that are showing up in this moment. Golden State, they were just here a couple of years ago. Granted, they are missing Kevin Durant. So it's going to be a little bit different in that regard. But I think where they make it up is outside of Steph, Clay, and Draymond, you know, a Jordan Poole, and I think Andrew Wiggins, I think those two are going to be the difference makers. And I do think that when I look at the Celtics' depth, I just don't think they have the requisite pieces to go toe-to-toe or match up effectively against Golden State. You know, I, I like... Uh, Jalen Brown. I like Marcus Smart. I like Robert Williams. I like Al Horford. But are they going to be consistent enough to get them over the hump to possibly get the NBA championship? I just don't see it. There are some guys in particular at Boston that really kind of have standout moments. Al Horford is kind of one in particular. Like he had that one big game against the Bucks in the second round of the playoffs when he scored like 30 points, basically put the team on his back. But then there, there are multiple games where he has relative, he has relatively pedestrian nights where he's only scoring in single digits. You know, so you don't really know. Boston runs a very tight rotation. Golden State has very, a little bit of yeah. a bigger. Golden State has a little bit more wiggle room in that respect, and I think you know that definitely kind of suits Golden State to their benefit because you don't have to worry about guys going out there and burning you know forty plus minutes. You know they could run you know, Steph at maybe 37, 38 minutes. Clay, kind of a similar type of output. Draymond, similar type of output. You look at like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Al Horford. I mean, those guys are consistently running at at least 40 minutes. You know, maybe just a tick under. I'm just saying, you know, those extra minutes that you got to spend on the court, it could backfire. Yeah, so, I mean, granted, they are young and they can handle it. Al Horford is a little bit different. You know, this is, you know, he's getting... 15th I would say, or 16th year or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he, 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 trust me, he's he's been here for a while. But this is his first NBA Finals, and um, I'm just saying, you know, the stakes get risen in this one. So this is going to be a new situation for even Al Horford, and he's like the veteran presence of this team. So this is kind of new territory for him, too. Um, 
know, when I look at Ime Udoka and Steve Kerr, I mean, Steve Kerr, I, I think he's going to be very comfortable in this series. Ime Udoka, I'm not so sure. I think he's definitely going to try to, you know, focus in on what they need to do to accomplish winning an NBA title. But this is new territory for him too. So, especially as a head coach, you know, I give him a lot of credit for being able to get this team you know, all the way to the NBA Finals. And it's kind of funny because the last three teams that they lost to in each respective season, going back to, I think, 2019, were the Bucks, the Nets, and the Heat. And they beat all those three teams consecutively in this playoff run to get to this point. Calling it the it would, revenge tour. I think that's yeah, pretty catchy. Yeah, so I give email a lot of credit for getting, you know, Jason, Jalen, Marcus, this core of guys to an NBA Finals appearance. I just don't think it's going to be enough. I just, I really do believe that Golden State, they're in this moment where I think they could pull off maybe a championship or two in the next three to four years. Just because, you know, Steph and Clay, I won't say like they're old yet. They're They're getting up there. But they're still relatively running at a good speed right now. It's not like there's any precipitous drop off in their production. But I think I think Golden State is going to go on a run just because they have to maximize the amount of time they have with Steph and Clay left. So, and I think I I will just counter that to the last point before we move on to the next subject or the next topic. I will not be surprised if Boston were to turn this around and win. The only reason I say that is because. Golden State turns the ball over way too much. Yep. Golden State is very careless with the ball, especially when the opposing team gets physical. And when I mean physical, I mean they get up in their guards and they get really, really physical with how they play off the screen, how they switch. And with Boston having a lot of versatile defenders, I think the consistent screens that Golden State likes to run and the constant switches the opposing defenses have to make, with the ability of Boston being able to play those positions outside of like Al Horford and Robert Williams, I think Jalen will be there to recover. I think Jason will be able to be there to recover. And I think that with their defense being as physical as it is and Golden State being a little loose with the basketball, that could lead to a lot of easy transition buckets that could lead to Golden State getting into foul trouble. And I think that that momentum can actually ride and give uh, Boston a lot of confidence. We all know that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are one of the better duos in this league. Not the best, one of the better and up and coming. However, they also have their issues with turning the ball over. On average, I'm, I'm spitballing here because, again, I'm going off of just recollection. They have a lot of double-digit turnovers between the two of them in terms of total turnovers combined yep. between those two because they're, they're the ball-dominant players on this team. If they're able to limit that and force Golden State to have that bad night, I think that that is going to be the most successful formula for the Celtics to get in there and actually upset this dynasty. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm sticking with my prediction. But again, if this were to turn around and that narrative were actually to flip and Boston were actually able to kind of run them off their own home floor and then capitalize on some of the games at home, I think this can actually flip and hit Boston in six if Golden State continues to get into that rut. Because we saw... Whenever Golden State had a bad game, whether it's the first, second, third round, and realistically, I don't think Golden State had a bad game in the Western Conference Finals, aside from the one loss that they had against Dallas, they didn't lose two in a row. They were able to bounce back. They were able to limit and control the issues that they had in the game before. Even in the Grizzlies series where they lost by almost 50, if not 50, 
they ended up closing that out and winning back-to-back games to say, all right, we're moving on. We're not doing this shit anymore. So you look at the pedigree, the coaching staff, which I will say it's kind of funny. I actually saw something on Instagram. Both Steve Kerr and Ime Udoka were players and won championships with the San Antonio Spurs, and now they're actually facing off. So like that, that Popovich tree just continues, similar to a Belichick tree, where his protégés are con- continuing to have success. So I think, again, it's going to be an interesting matchup, and I think that it can go either way, but Kyle and I are definitely siding with Golden State. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of make one final point before we move into the next segment, I think it's going to be interesting to see the point that you made about the turnovers is one thing. I think the one thing that Boston's going to have to contend with in this series uh, compared to what they dealt with Miami, let's face it. I mean, outside of Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and you can kind of even put a question mark around him, the production that Miami got from their players outside of Jimmy was sparse. You can't say that with Golden State. Golden State has so many options at their disposal. That's the part that I think Boston's going to struggle with. Because, right. like, if you take, for example, you know, Jimmy Butler did his thing in that series against Boston. Granted, it was in a losing effort, but he showed up. Bam Adebayo was streaky. Max Struess, no show. Tyler Hero was in and out because he was dealing with a groin injury, so he was limited. Kyle Lowry was sparse when it came to his production. With Golden State, you got Steph, you got Clay, you got Jordan Poole, you've got Andrew Wiggins. Those are four definitive shooters that can not only get to the rim, Andrew Wiggins kind of proved that in uh, the Game 5 against Dallas, but... Actually, I think that might have you been game four, four, four. Game four. Game four. That was a home game for Dallas. I forgot about that. Yep. But Jordan Poole, like those two specifically, I think Boston are going to have a difficult time defending because they have to put so much emphasis on making sure that, that Steph doesn't get hot, that Clay doesn't get hot, that you could see a scenario where Andrew and Jordan really step up and actually become pivotal forces for Golden State. And I think that's the one thing that Boston's going to have to contend with in this series that they didn't have to deal with against Miami just because Miami did not have the requisite scores outside of Jimmy. So that's something that we're going to have to kind of focus on in this series. I just think that the shooting depth that Golden State has compared to what Boston had to deal with with Miami, I think it's a night and day difference. Now, granted, you could say that part of that is due to what Boston did defensively. I will give them credit for that. But when you got four bona fide shooters, that's tough to stop. One of them is going to pop off, or at least one of them is going to be more product- more productive than the others. So, Agreed. Agreed. you know, and, and Boston's going to have to score. And Boston can't score. I mean, Jason's been doing his thing. Jalen's been doing his thing. Marcus Smart here and there has been doing his thing. This is going to be a very fun, compelling series. I just hope it's competitive, like you said, because if these are blowout games, I guess that's just the basically the theme when it comes to this playoff uh, run in its entirety, just a lot of blowout games, which kind of doesn't lead to a lot of exciting finishes. But, you know, we'll see what happens, but I'm definitely looking forward to the series, and I can pretty much say with a high degree of certainty that you are as well. 100%. But with that said, we're going to transition to our next segment. We're going to focus on this matchup just kind of in a more specific way. Uh, We're going to focus on who we think is going to win NBA Finals MVP. I mean, we have a great list of players to go through here. With the Warriors, you got potentially Steph winning, NBA Finals MVP, Clay could also make a name for it. Jordan Poole could possibly sneak in there with Boston. Um, I mean, the three players that come off the top of my head are Jason, 
Jalen, and potentially maybe Marcus Smart. So we have a great group of players to pick from when it comes to who we think could win NBA Finals MVP. And that's where I'm going to pose a question to Kev. Kevin, who do you think is going to win NBA Finals MVP when it's all said and done? So I know it's probably going to be a basic decision. It's, it's, it's going to be something that a lot of people see coming. I'm going with Steph Curry. And I'm going with Steph Curry because I feel like Clay is still getting acclimated. He's still getting himself into a rhythm. And obviously, he's a little bit more of a predominant defender, uh, more than Steph is. And I know that they target Steph a lot, and they target Jordan Poole on switches. But, you know, when, when you put as much physical effort as Clay does on the other end, it's a lot more than Steph does. Um, I think that Clay tends to take a lot of ill-timed and ill-advised shots to kind of get himself into a rhythm. He's known to have a lot of slow starts in this postseason run in particular. So I feel that him trying to make up for it outside of just that third quarter that Golden State is known to go on um, in terms of their runs, I think that that's going to hurt them more than help them unless he's actually hitting at a consistent rate throughout the entire series. Steph's actually been able to be getting on consistent good starts. Steph's actually been able to put, uh, you know, solid quarters together, whether it be a seven-point quarter, a 10-point quarter, third quarters he's gone for 15-20. Um, it's just been a matter of consistency. This postseason, he's actually been averaging 26 points per game. Now, he's averaging a career low in free throw percentage at 82%, but he's still shooting, if I'm not mistaken, this postseason in terms of three-point percentage, he's still shooting at a clip of 38%. He's still putting out, uh, in terms of you know field goal percentage, he's still shooting 45% from the field. It's not awful, but it's also not incredible. He's just been a little bit more consistent for me. So I'm looking at it and I'm saying, Steph's got all the other accolades. NBA All-Team, MVP, scoring title, um, All-Star appearances, you name it, Steph has already done it. He's on the 75 all-time NBA team. He's missing one piece, one final Infinity Stone if you want to make a Marvel reference. He's legitimately captured every accolade you possibly can, aside from a Defensive Player of the Year award, which, quite frankly, let's just say it's never going to happen. Steph is missing this one hardware piece. Steph has been pivotal to a lot of these finals teams and if I'm just looking at a lot of these postseason runs in terms of since they've started going into the playoffs when they won championships starting with 2014-15 which is when they won their first ring he didn't win finals MVP that year because it was given to Andre Iguodala he scored 28 points per game that in that postseason and the next year when they had KD in terms of or excuse me and then year after that where they blew the 3-1 lead 25 points per game the next year 28 25, 28, and 26. So it's not like Steph isn't putting out efficient numbers throughout the entire postseason, but you have to look at it and say, who was on the team that took that opportunity away from him? The first one was obviously a little bit questionable because Andre Iguodala was given it for his stellar defense against LeBron James, even though he basically averaged a 35-point triple-double. But in the other series, you had Kevin Durant, who was averaging basically 30-plus per game. So, I mean, it was overshadowed. Nevertheless, Stephen Curry has never shied away from being able to show up in the playoffs. I think that Steph Curry is going to take that next leap and take that veteran leadership role in this on this team, and he's going to carry them to a fourth NBA championship in the last eight years. And I think that that is going to show, you know what? Steph Curry needs to go down as one of the best players of all time in NBA history. Well, Kev, I mean, I, I, that's just pretty self-evident. He's one of the greatest players of all time. I think... I think the question becomes whether or not that he's the most like transcendent player of this generation, even eclipsing LeBron James. I think if the Warriors were to win a fourth NBA championship in eight years and Steph were able to get a finals MVP on top of it in this finals appearance, I think at that point, a legitimate argument can be made that Steph's impact to the game in this generation specifically 
could even eclipse what LeBron has done. That that's a separate discussion for another day. So I'm gonna 100%. put that to the side. But when I focus on who's gonna win Finals MVP this year, Gavin, I'm going with you. I'm going with Steph. And to me, it's pretty clear cut and concise. You know, the thing is, you know, take away the previous performances that he's had in the NBA Finals. I think just in this playoff run, he's been consistent. And I think the reason why he hasn't been like what I've considered like in God mode is because he has great requisite pieces around him. Clay Thompson is back in the fold after missing the last couple of years with his injuries. Uh, Draymond's always been one of the more feistier players on their team. More specifically, I should kind of phrase it as like he's like their energizer bunny. Kind of keeps the team in check. and Is always there to get the, get the guys ready to go. And, you know, Jordan Poole is a guy on the rise as far as just his status within Golden State's hierarchy. But Steph is just, he's the engine that keeps this team running. And I think when I look at this series potentially against Boston, I see him going to go out there and put up similar type of numbers of what he's done in the past. I think he's got a very good chance to average somewhere around like 27, 28 points per game, maybe shoot somewhere around like 45, 50%. It's just whether or not that, you know, Golden State and really Steve Kerr could be able to set Steph up in some good situations where he can exploit those uh, defensive lapses from Boston and execute at a high level consistently. And I think, I think to kind of just focus on Steph and what he's, you know, potentially going to do, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to have like this vintage moment where he like breaks out and scores like 45 points single-handedly puts Golden State on his back to get him or to get them a win against Boston. I think as long as he's consistent and he's just knocking down shots like he typically does, I think that'll be more than enough for him to win uh, NBA Finals MVP if Golden State ends up winning the finals when it's all said and done. And then to kind of just focus on, you know, what that would do for his legacy. Well, his legacy is already cemented whether he wins this NBA Finals or not. I mean, he's one of the greatest players in NBA history. He's already gone down as the greatest shooter in NBA history. I mean, that's already been decided and he's still actively playing. So, I mean, there's really not that much left when it comes to him as far as his legacy goes. I guess if you were to throw an NBA Finals trophy on top of it, it would just be more of like, it would just kind of add to the resume that he already has. To me, it's kind of more of just like, it's a symbolic represent, re- representation of what he's done in his career. But, you know, Steph is going to be fine. Even though that I think Boston has a really good defense from top to bottom, I think Steph is still going to be able to get good looks. He's going to show up in pivotal moments for Golden State when they need him to. And I think it's going to be enough to propel Golden State to another title. I mean, four titles in eight years. One of the best dynasties uh, in recent memory. Um, it would basically go alongside what the uh, the Lakers did uh, in the early 2000s. It's not going to clip what Jordan and the Bulls did back in the 90s or what Magic and uh, Bird did with the Celtics and the Lakers, respectively. But I, I think that when it's all said and done, I, th- I think Steph is going to capture that eluded NBA Finals trophy uh, in this series. And I think he's going to be phenomenal in this series. And I think he's going to be a big reason why Golden State wins another Finals once again. I can't say it enough. I'm definitely excited um, for this series. I'm definitely excited for this matchup. I hope Steph and the boys actually just get it. No disrespect to Jason Tatum and those guys. Um, they're young. They'll have their opportunities. I mean, this team is relatively simple. or Not simple. I think this team is relatively put together in a good way in terms of contract length and a lot of you know the coaching staff that they have. 
Golden State's getting to that point where, like you said, they're not old, but they're getting to that point where it's like this window now officially, even though we've been discussing this for the last five years of how long is their window going to be open. And a lot of people said that it was closed, us included. And I don't know about you, but I know for a fact when they started getting hurt and they lost KD and, and Clay went down again, it was kind of like, it's looking bad. Like the window, the window was closed. Yeah. But I think the one thing that, I think the one thing that we didn't take into account was the rise of Jordan Poole until right. this season. Like, right. I remember like before the season even started, I remember we were talking about, you know, what would Jordan Poole's impact be? Could he potentially be the X factor if Golden State were to get to this point? Well, I mean, he's proven his worth so far. And I think when it comes to him specifically, I think as time goes on, he's going to become a much more prior. He's going to become a primary factor of this team. I think right now he's still kind of in that secondary spot behind, you know, Steph and clay, of course. but you know, as time keeps going along here, Jordan's going to get some like real, like, all right, bro, this is your time to shine. Like, you know, Steph and clay, I'm not saying that they have to take a back seat, but it may get to that point where, you know, three, four years down the road, Jordan's going to be the one that's propelling this team forward. Steph and Clay will still have their respective uh, spots on Golden State. It's just that Jordan might be the primary factor that gets Golden State where they need to. It's like I said earlier. Golden State has to maximize the window that they have right now, which I think, as I see it, is the next three to four years. Because Steph, I think, is around 33, 34 years old. Plays around a similar age. You know, once you start getting into that 35, 36, 37 year old Mark, you know, that's when injuries can really become a, a primary factor and why teams just don't have the playoff success or really just the overall success that they're typically accustomed to. And that's where you could possibly see like Jordan, maybe kind of like get his shine, get a rise kind of almost similar to like, I'm not saying like, this is a terrible comparison, but when, when Shaq got traded from the Lakers to Miami, I mean, Shaq was getting older. He wasn't old yet, like to the point like where he was just a scrub. But it went to the point of it transitioned from it being primarily Shaq's team to it was Kobe's team. And Golden State, I think, is going to hit that type of moment. Not like the circumstances aren't going to be the same. I think it's just more like the, the principle associated with it. It's like there's going to be a transition from Stephen Clay to Jordan. It's just when and how it's going to happen. So, you know, with the way that it happened with Shaq and Kobe, it just became Kobe's team after Shaq got traded. And it, it may go down completely different with how it's currently structured. It's currently structured with Clay and Steph. But I think Jordan is going to be that number one guy for Golden State within like the next five years. That I can I'm pretty certain of. As long as, you know, Jordan doesn't have like a career threatening injury or just sees like a, a tail off in production. I, I think he's just gonna keep going on this trajectory. And I think it's gonna be in a positive way. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I actually have a, a kind of one of our tangent segments. I just thought of it randomly mid while we're having a conversation. So bear with us, guys. We're having a we're making an audible. There's been a lot, a lot, a lot of talk of Tyler Hero's extension in Miami. I've been seeing quite a lot of speculation that Miami might be willing to package Tyler Hero along with some other assets to potentially look and acquire Donovan Mitchell. A lot of it is all rumors, guys. There's no concrete of shams or, or Woj reporting anything. This is just random beat reporters and insiders saying that 
mutual interest between both sides exists. And with Tyler Hero saying either today or yesterday that, you know, him going into his fourth year, he feels that he's earned a starting role. He feels that he wants more playing time. Obviously, getting six man of the year is kind of like the highest ceiling you can get in terms of being, you know, coming off the bench. Kyle, I'm, 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 again, I'm putting you on the spot, so I apologize in advance. But what do you make of this potential trade situation that if Miami were to go and trade Tyler Hero and other assets, do you think that that would benefit Donovan Mitchell and his legacy? Or do you think that, you know, Miami would be able to take that leap to get back into the finals? I mean, well, I think for Donovan Mitchell, it would definitely improve his chances to actually get past the first round of the playoffs. I think, I think that goes without saying. The only thing that I would counter with that, if, if Donovan went to Miami, what would Miami give in return to Utah? I mean, we're talking about Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is one of the most dynamic players in the NBA. Granted, it hasn't translated into playoff success, but to say that Donovan Mitchell isn't a superstar in his own right is just outright foolish. And I think if you put him in a situation where he goes to Miami alongside Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, I mean, that's a three-headed monster to work with. It's just the only thing is how much of their depth are they going to be able to you know, package to send to Utah. Because, I mean, giving up Tyler Hero, I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, Tyler Hero is one of the most consistent three-point shooters off the bench in the NBA. I mean, to be a six-man-of-the-year uh, award winner, that's a huge accomplishment for Tyler at this point in his career. He's still relatively young. He's in his early 20s. I just don't know how deep Miami's bench would be just because more than likely that they would have to give up Tyler Hero. I wouldn't be surprised if they give up guys like maybe like Gabriel Vincent, maybe Max Struess in the process. I mean, Miami would have to give up a lot because Donovan is going to require, you know, that's a pretty heavy price tag to be able to trade for. But I mean, you get Donovan Mitchell, that puts you at the top of the Eastern Conference. And I mean, it really doesn't move them from the top spot in the Eastern Conference since they were the number one seed in the East this year. It's just whether or not would that move put Miami in a situation where it propels them to the top of the East to get all the way to the finals. That's really where, you know, they could possibly look at this scenario saying, yeah, this would definitely be a good move uh, to get us, you know, not just top seed in the East, but, you know, to possibly put us in a situation where they can win a title. I think Donovan is getting frustrated with his tenure in Utah, just because of the lack of playoff success that they've been having. There's been reported just tension between uh, Donovan and Rudy at this current moment in time, just because I think Rudy has said in the past that Utah needs to make a decision on focusing on who should really lead Utah in the future, whether it should be Rudy himself or Donovan, and that Rudy's kind of made an ultimatum between how Utah's going to handle that. So we'll kind of see how that plays out. But I mean, to focus on Donovan, if you were to actually go to Miami, I think that would be electric for Miami. It's just at what cost? If they give up too much of their bench depth, it could actually hurt them in the long run instead of just the short term. But on paper, I'm definitely interested in the possibility of of Donovan going to Miami. That definitely piques my interest. Yeah, and the only reason I brought it up was just because I had seen just not just one, not just two, but like three or four kind of different people talking about a potential trade. I looked it up and it's, you know, it's on the internet in different places. So I'm like, wow, whether it's made up, again, guys, we're not saying that this is factual or this is concrete. Again, it's the NBA offseason for everybody aside from the two teams in the finals right now. So rumors are going to be circulating all the way throughout the summer. The only reason I bring it up is because 
I'm looking at this and I'm saying Tyler Hero's averaging 20 points per game. Tyler Hero's increased every single percentage in his career outside of free throw percentage in terms of three-point percentage efficiency, obviously field goal percentage, uh, rebounds, assists per game, points per game. So, I mean, he's getting better as he gets older, as he gets more experienced. The counterpoint, like Miami has with a lot of different players, he is a defensive liability. If you are going to start in the NBA and you're going to go out there and put up 20 but give up 25, you're not going to start for very long. I don't necessarily see why a team like Utah, who is at least getting to the playoffs, would trade their best player for a fourth-year player that can't play any defense, for a guy that's come off the bench for the majority, if not his entire career. And I'm going to say, actually, I stand corrected. His entire career, he's started a couple of games, but for the majority of it, he's been a six-man. And then you're looking at it and you're saying... Why would they go and get a a lesser player, a shorter player, uh, a less athletic player, and Miami's going to send them random pieces? Are they really going to let potentially Rudy Gobert go and Donovan Mitchell or one of the other without actually getting massive pieces back? Miami's going to be competitive over the next couple of years, so draft picks aren't going to be worth it because they're going to be picking in the later half of the draft no matter what because my if you do actually go out and get excuse me if you do go out and acquire Donovan Mitchell in this hypothetical they're not going anywhere short of the second round in the Eastern Conference they might be an Eastern Conference finals team consistently if this trade were to go through and they were to keep like core pieces but then like Kyle said if you go out there and you give up Tyler here you give up uh, Max Struess you go and you give up uh PJ Tucker even though he's got a player option I'm just saying like a, a pieces that make this team what it is you're solely going to have to rely even more so on Jimmy Butler, on Donovan Mitchell, to make up for the points that those three, four other players are getting, uh, are giving and providing this team. So I just thought it was interesting. I thought it would be an interesting topic to see where you come from. Um, Obviously, I mean, I love Donovan Mitchell. I'm a big fan. I think that he obviously puts this team into that upper echelon of best teams in the league, not just the Eastern Conference. That's a given. But, I mean, it's just a matter of, you know, will they have enough cap? They obviously have to pay Kyle Larry. They're paying Jimmy. They're paying Bam. You know, there's a lot of people that are currently getting, you know, a good, a decent check coming uh, from Pat Riley and those boys. And you look at it and you say, well, Hero needs an extension. So you either pay Tyler Hero or trade him while he has some value and his contract is low, or you give him the extension. You continue to play him the way that you're playing him. But again, more than likely, Duncan Robinson is gone. So you're going to lose the shooter. You're going to have Tyler Hero, who's consistent, but again, he tends to miss time with random injuries, so he you got to worry about that too. But if he were to get inserted into that rotation or that starting lineup, another defensive liability, another undersized guard. So you, you know, you just there there are pros and there are cons. Uh, actually, I can't say under undersized. He's six five, but he is this big. So I'll stand by it in that regard. But overall, um, I think that this would be an interesting narrative. I think that Don, Donovan will make them a, a competitive a lot more of a competitive team than they are right now. And that's saying something considering that they were at the Eastern conference finals and a shot away from going to the finals. But if Tyler hero gets traded to the jazz and this whole thing actually happens, I think they're going to blow it up. I think that they're going to move on from Rudy Gobert. Mike Conley's going to write out the rest of his older contract. Jordan Clarkson's probably going to write out the rest of his, or he's going to seek a trade as well. But if Donovan's gone, I think that it's over for Utah's run. Yeah. It's just, I think it's really predicated on Donovan for their long-term success, and it's not Rudy. You don't get me wrong; like Rudy's a great defensive element to their team, 
but he doesn't really provide you much as far as an offensive output goes. Donovan really is that primary force that makes Utah relevant. And if you trade him away, I think that all but ensures the end of what would potentially be like a window for Utah to possibly win a title. I think it effectively shuts it because there's no way that you could tell me that Rudy Gobert is going to single-handedly carry that team to a championship appearance. For God's sakes, they've struggled to get out of the, the first round of the playoffs. I think, I think they're, I think their best playoff run has been what the second round. If that, yeah, I think it was that, that, that seven game series where they were up in the bubble against Denver three, one, and they blew that lead. And like him and Jamal Murray were going back and forth with like 40, 50 point games each. Yeah. So, you know, I, I love Donovan. Donovan's a great player. Um, he's very excited to watch, even though the, uh, the Utah Jazz lost in that first-round series against the Mavs. I'm not going to lie. Every time he shot the ball, I thought it was going in. Especially he's when, he's good. In, when he's in rhythm. He's super athletic. Kind of reminds me of a more athletic Dwayne Wade. It's just, he's dynamite. And if he ends up going to a team like Miami, I'm just saying, if as long as Miami doesn't give up too much in the process when it comes to their bench depth, but Miami could be right back on top of the Eastern Conference and potentially go to the final. That's how real it can be. But it's like I said, it depends on how much they give up in the process. Facts. In a, and low-key, it'd be funny as hell. Dwayne Wade is a partial owner of the Jets. I know, right? <laughs> it'd be like a little bit. so funny. Well, then at that point, he's kind of like, he'd be like a covert agent for Miami. He's like, yeah. Kind of like Derek Jeter was for the Stanton trade to the Yankees. Exactly. So, see, hysterical. See what I mean? Miami, like, Miami knows, like, they're still getting contributions from Dwayne if that trade were to actually go down. Like, we appreciate you, even after your NBA career. But um, with that said, we're going to transition into some hockey talk. Uh, we haven't really talked about uh, hockey this much um, when it comes to just the overall playoffs that have taken place in the NHL. Uh, but we're going to focus on the ongoing Eastern Conference Finals matchup between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Rangers. Uh, game one is currently ongoing. Um, we're not going to really worry about game one too much. Uh, we're mostly just going to focus on the entire series as a whole, primarily. Um, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Rangers going going up against the Lightning, in the Eastern Conference Finals. Do you think the Rangers actually have a chance to dethrone the bat-to-bat champs in the Tampa Bay Lightning in this Eastern Conference Finals matchup? So, I mean, you know, the, 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 the bias in me is unmitigated because I don't watch hockey as much as I would like to. For whatever reason, I just can't get into it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like it when there, there's a fight. Like every other basic person, I like it when there's a cool shot or a hat trick. You know, it's that basic little things. But... How hockey kind of goes through, I, I, I get a little confused and lost, especially because I'm not really a fan of the rules or understanding of the rules, should I say. But from what I do understand, Tampa Bay is a dynasty. Tampa Bay has won the last two Stanley Cups. They are seeking their third straight consecutive championship, which would be the first American sport team to go out there and make a three-peat since the LA Lakers in the 2000s, like we said last week. The Rangers, on the other half, are the complete opposite. They weren't supposed to be here. They're one of those Cinderella stories that they kind of have weaseled their way through and they have made sure that they have come out on top of the last two series. If I read the statistic correctly, they're the fourth team in NHL history to combat two 3-1 deficits in the postseason. So, I mean, 
this team is no stranger to adversity. You can see that this young core has grit. You can see that this young core has resilience. And in games where they needed to win and, and you know, elimination games, which is the majority of the games that they faced in the last two series, their backs against the wall. They got it done. Now, I don't know what it is with their slow starts, how they fall in these 2-1, 3-1 holes. But the point is, there isn't a point unless it's a sweep, that I would feel that the Rangers aren't in it. Just because of what I just said, they were 3-1 in the last two series, and they found a way to come back and win three straight in each. So I would say that maybe the physical toll that these series have taken could lead them to be uh, less physical. I would say that maybe they have a little bit more taxation and tolls on their body, especially because Tampa's pretty much been off for, Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, seven or eight days. So they, they're well-rested going into this series, as opposed to the Rangers just won against Carolina, I believe, on, on Sunday, right? Yeah. On Monday? No, it's Monday. It was on so Monday. the Rangers are on a day's rest. It's, it's Wednesday right now. So Tampa's chilling, looking at them, saying, we've been waiting for y'all for a week. So I think that's where it's going to fall into it. I think that's going to play a big portion of it. Now, I'm not saying that the Rangers can't do it. I'm going to side with the championship pedigree. I'm going to side with the defending champs and say that Tampa's probably going to win this in five or six. Again, I am not a hockey connoisseur. I am not someone that can go and go into the analytics and understand what exactly I'm reading. But again, just based off of what I've seen Tampa do to a lot of teams, including the best team in the NHL, if not the best team in the Eastern Conference in the Florida Panthers, and they swept them right off the ice. I think that that confidence, that championship pedigree is going to take its toll and that experience will then lead this team to beat this, this young and, and, and fighting and very tough Rangers team. And again, that's why I say it'll go five or six. I don't think it'll be a sweep, but I think Tampa Bay returns to the Stanley Cup for a third consecutive year. I mean, Kevin, I'm in full agreement with you on this one. I do see the Lightning winning this series against the Rangers. I mean, to kind of highlight the point, that you made. I mean, the Rangers have kind of had an unexpected run. It almost kind of reminds me of what the Canadians had last year, where uh, the Canadians didn't have a great start to last year, but they basically had a great second half of the regular season and just kind of propelled that momentum all the way to a Stanley Cup appearance. Now, granted, they got smacked by the Lightning in the Stanley Cup, but the Rangers are kind of like a, a similar team in that regard because, let's face it, the Rangers were a team that were in essentially like a small little rebuild, but I mean, the way that they looked at it was like rebuild. Like, now nah, we're just going to skip that part. We're just going to be right back in it, no matter what anybody has to say about us, which I do give the Rangers a lot of credit. It's just the Lightning have been here before. The Lightning, even though that the, the Lightning and the Rangers essentially had the same point total from this past regular season, the one thing that I favor with the Lightning over the Rangers is just that championship pedigree. And the thing is, Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, Nikita Kucherov, I, I mean, these guys are just flying on all cylinders right now, especially Kucherov. Kucherov was an absolute dominant force against the Panthers, where the Lightning just outright swept the Panthers in four games, which was really unexpected. Granted, you know, the Lightning have been very successful the last couple of years, but I don't think anybody was expecting Tampa to just sweep through the Panthers when the Lightning struggled to even get past the Maple Leafs in the first round of the playoffs. I mean, the Lightning barely won that series in seven games. And they barely won game six when they were actually losing in the third period at home to the Maple Leafs. So the, the Lightning have kind of gone through their own adversary, adversity this year in the playoffs, but they've really gotten it together very quickly. And the, the factor that I have to you know point out here is Andre Vasilevsky. He is the best goalie in the NHL. 
no matter who wins uh, the, the Vezina Trophy for best goaltender in the NHL, Vasilevsky, when it comes to these playoff games, has been nothing short of phenomenal, especially in that Panther series, where, if I if I remember correctly, he gave up three goals in four games. If the Lightning are able to get that type of defensive performance from Andre Vasilevsky consistently throughout this Rangers series, I don't think the Rangers are going to be able to score consistently like they were able to against the Rangers. I mean, not against the Rangers, against the Hurricanes, excuse me. I mean, the Rangers in Game 7 against the Hurricanes put up six goals. It, it felt like to me like the Hurricanes like forgot how to completely play defense. It just wasn't in the game plan for them. With the Lightning, that's a different ballgame. You're dealing with a completely different team that has won back-to-back championships. They're possibly going for a three-peat this year, which would just be unbelievable no matter what sport uh, you're talking about professionally in North America. And I just don't think that the Rangers are, are going to be well-equipped to you know, take the Lightning six, seven games. I just don't see it. I could actually see the Lightning winning this one in five games if the Rangers aren't careful. It's just the Lightning just have that championship pedigree. John Cooper has been phenomenal coaching this team for basically a decade at this point. He's gotten them back-to-back Stanley Cups, potentially could get a third one if it works out in their favor. I just think it's too much for the Rangers to handle, even though that I think the Rangers have had a phenomenal year. It's just, I think their Cinderella story is going to come to an end. I think it's going to be at the hands of the Lightning. That's just how I see it. Sorry, I tend to just, I accidentally tend to do that all the time. Um, I find it weird because I haven't watched playoff hockey in so long. And, you know, the last time I did, I believe it was the first time I moved here, which was 2014, which is when we had that, random run in 2014 with Marty St. Louis and and we were just a team that nobody expected to do what we did and Lundqvist was absolutely legendary in that postseason but you know we fell short and it is what it is what I'm getting at is my teams this year and I I use my teams lightly when I talk about the Rangers because I don't watch them as, as much as I do my other teams North Carolina gets to the national championship and they fall short the Dallas Mavericks get to the Western Conference Finals which they haven't done in God knows how long they fall short to the hopefully the you know future champs that are the Warriors, and now I have the freaking the uh, the, the, the New York Rangers going into this saying, "Damn, they're going out there and they're facing the defending champs in the in the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference Finals." Like, I I can't complain as a fan this year. It's it's been granted we're not winning chips, but we're getting to points that we haven't been in in so long and that Yankees it's like you have to be start. you have to be proud. It's 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 June. I know it's. I know I'll it's worry early. about it when it gets to. I'll, I'll worry about it when it gets to August. Say, but, it's got, uh, it, I mean, make it count for something. Oh yeah, I it mean, nothing. it matters, you know. But apparently, the Mets are also tied with the Yankees for the best record in baseball, which is absolutely unheard of. But I'm waiting for their crumble and their absolute demise, like they always have in the summer of the season. So that's neither here nor there. What I'm trying to say is. Whether the Rangers win or lose this series, they have overachieved exponentially, just like all my other teams have. So I'm going to sit here and say, you know what? They lost to one of the best teams in the last decade when it comes to hockey because the Lightning have been that consistent over the last couple of years. (laughs) If they eclipse and get this third title, they may be one of the greatest dynasties in hockey history because I I, I don't even know when the last time somebody was able to three-peat in this sport. It was it was a while ago. I can't. Even We're tell talking. You. I, I can't. I can't tell you at the top of my head. Exactly. So it's like probably that's oil, how probably, that's probably a, the that, oil. It's like the Oilers. The Oilers. But did that's how good this team. 
is. That's how that's how consistent this team has been. And they have had dominant runs each of the last three seasons. I mean, they've swept multiple teams in these runs. So you can't say that they're they're forcing it to game seven, they're winning by the skin of their teeth, they're winning in overtime. They're doing all the above, but they're doing it in short periods of time. In yeah. four or five games. So it's pure dominance, and the fact that the Rangers are holding their own right now, it's 1-1 in the second period, I would say that that's a good sign. But again, the fatigue of this team is probably going to come into play throughout this series because they've played so many games in each of the first two rounds. So I will say that Tampa being rested is probably going to benefit them. But I mean, who's to say? It's been a crazy run. We've seen crazier things happen in sports. So I will leave the door open for a potential Game 1 upset, but we'll see what happens as it goes along. Yeah, it's just... You know, the Lightnings are juggernauts. The Lightning are juggernauts. If the Rangers could be able to pull this off, I mean, that would be be unbelievable as far as I'm concerned. Fact. You know, but we'll see how it plays out. I mean, it's game one. A lot of times, you know, game one is just you're trying to, you know, figure out the other team, just figure out how they run their sets, how they run their lines. So, you know, both teams will make proper adjustments no matter who wins game one going into game two. So this is definitely going to be a fun series, and it's definitely going to be one that, I'll be paying attention to uh, pretty significantly. But um, we're going to go to our last segment. And unfortunately, this is kind of one of those those more somber moments that we have to talk about. Um, former Cowboys running back Marion Barber uh, was found dead in his apartment on Wednesday. Um, if I remember the report correctly, uh, the police were responding to a call. It was a welfare check because somebody had made a a reference about a water leak in one of the apartments. And then when they got to the apartment, they found Marion Barber, unfortunately deceased in that apartment. Uh, Marion Barber was 38 years old, had a pretty solid NFL career, most notably with the Dallas Cowboys. And his passing comes just about a week, just a little bit over a week away from his birthday. He would have turned 39 on June 10th. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, what are your thoughts about Marion Barber's passing at 38 years old? Dude, I feel like there's just so many players passing recently. Vincent Jackson, um, obviously you had Demarius Thomas, so many young individuals. Uh, God knows what they've been going through. Who knows what they've been doing with their lives? You know, hopefully they 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 find no foul play in this. But you know, it just. There's not much you can say. As a football fan, as a human being, you wish nothing but the best for his family and his loved ones. You know, you send all the condolences in the world to his kids and, and, and whoever else he left behind. But you you have to look back at the man in his career and, and what he'd brought to football, and that was a warrior mentality. I mean, the man was called Marion the Barbarian for a reason. Um, he never shied away from contact, a very physical player, a, a very in-your-face running back that was never going to shy away from any hit from any individual in the NFL at any point. And he ran between the tackles with every ounce of strength that he had. I mean, some of his runs were sports in the top 10 plays growing up. I mean, he was notably... I want to say throughout uh, the end of junior high for us into high school, and then he kind of fizzled out. You know, he got older, and then, you know, he kind of was, you know, dwindled out of the rotation in Dallas. But, you know, for the majority of his career, we know him to be one of those physical dominating running backs that we haven't seen in quite some time. Um, and at that time, it was definitely unheard of because it was the game was kind of transitioning into that quarterback heavy, um, kind of shifty running back era. And, and Marion was kind of like a blast from the past from the 80s. 
and he was just head down, knock you on your ass, and, and definitely make you remember that you, you'd never want to come at him again, especially if it was in between the tackles. So we remember Marion for the individual that he was and you know the human being that he was, but on the field, we knew he was a warrior, and we knew how much he meant to the Cowboys organization. But again, man, my heart breaks for stories like this, especially because you don't know what's going on to find a loved one or an individual or hear that an individual that you that you know of pass away in their home. It's just, it's an eerie feeling and it's a, it's definitely a sad day in football and a sad day for those that loved him, man. So, you know, rest in peace to him and, and I hope that his family finds, um, you know, some peace and I hope that people respect what they're going through, man. My condolences to the, to those people. Yeah, Kev, I'm of the similar sentiment here. Uh, it's, it's awful when we get these stories of former NFL players passing, especially at such a young age. Really, the one that kind of stuck out uh, to both of us recently was the Demarius, uh, the Demarius Thomas passing. I mean, he was in his like mid thirties, and and that one really caught us off guard. And, and this one, in a similar uh, extent, is the same thing. I mean, for God's sakes, the guy was thirty eight years old. Now, granted, he hasn't played in the NFL in over a decade, but still, I mean. 38 years old, that's just, it's so early to go. It's just so unfortunate. So I definitely extend my uh, my thoughts and prayers to his family, knowing what they're going through right now. I mean, when I look at Marion Barber's career, I mean, the one thing that I vividly remember about Marion specifically was, I think he had undoubtedly the greatest two-yard run I've ever seen. It was a, a game against the Patriots in 2007. This is when uh, the Patriots were going on their undefeated season run. And I remember Tony Romo, he handed it off to Marion Barber. The play was going absolutely nowhere just because the Patriots defensive line just blew up uh, the Cowboys offensive line. And yet, despite that, despite all the defensive pressures that New England's defense was giving against Marion Barber, Marion broke like three or four tackles on that play, most of them coming within the end zone. So had he been tackled, it would have been a safety and was able to get away from all the New England defenders and get a two-yard game when it looked like it was going to be a safety. And and that's just kind of one of the things is that Mary would find a way to be able to extend the play, to be able to get past that first contact, to extend the play, to get some extra yards on top of that. And I think one of the things that even like you could look back to in his career with Dallas is that he was a solid force out of the backfield in the passing game because, you know, after his rookie season, if I look at actually his receiving totals every year to about 2008, they were increasing to the point where he had 52 receptions and about just a touch over 400 yards receiving as a running back. And, you know, you combine that with what he did on the ground. He had close to almost 1300 purpose yards I mean, altogether in 2008. And that's when really he was one of the primary uh, forces that the Cowboys had in their run game. So, you know, when I look at, what he was able to do, he was great for what Dallas needed at the time. He was a physical back, didn't shy away from contact. And I remember, I think somebody was even saying, like, Marion Barber was, like, the early version of, like, what Marshawn Lynch ended up being. Just, like, that that running back that would just refuse to go down and would try to extend a play as much as possible to just get an extra couple yards and even maybe even try to turn it into a touchdown as well. So, it's unfortunate, you know, that this event happened just it's very difficult for me to know that you know at 38 years old there's there's so much life uh left usually at 38 years old you know 
most of the time, you know, people are halfway through their lives. And unfortunately for Marion's case, his comes to a very unfortunate end. And it's just very sad, no matter how you look at this. So like I said at the top, um, I just give my thoughts and prayers to his family. Uh, this is just a terrible situation that nobody wants to see. And um, I hope his family can find some sort of peace in the grieving process. But uh, rest in peace to Marion Barber. He will be missed. Crazy, man. Life comes you to too short. Um, not trying to get anybody with any sentimental shit, but you know the way that I live my life, losing family members and friends at young age, I, I tell a lot of my friends and my loved ones, I've told Kyle this a multitude of times, you got to live every day like it should last. You, you just got to enjoy life. And I know Kyle has actually told me uh, on multiple occasions, you know, when I'm frustrated and angry at little things, you just got to let it go. You just got to live your life for you. And just, you know, don't dwindle on the little things. There was actually something he used to say in college that used to piss me off on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> These things happen. Hell and I yeah. just, oh, my God. I, man. When I, I tell new, you guys. I have a new one now. Oh, it, one do now. you? Keep I it do. to yourself because I don't want to get annoyed. No, it, it's not these things happen. But if things just aren't going the way that you expect them to, bro, you just got to see it through. Just see it through. No, no, no. See, that's that stupid trend that the, you got to see it through, my boy. You just made a twist to it. I yeah. don't want to hear your shit. Yeah, you got to see the it point, through. <laughs> the, the, the point of what I'm getting at is tell your loved ones you love them. Tell your friends. Check in on them if you haven't spoken in a while. If you're holding a grudge or you're upset at somebody, just bury that, man, because you're... Dude, it's not worth losing it. it's not someone, worth it. it's just, it, it really is not worth living with that regret, holding back the things that you would have wished to say, or, you know, not being able to say goodbye to somebody. It's, it's a painful feeling. So, you know, just enjoy your life, do what you can to, to make it the best life that you can. And just, you know, have fun, bro. Life is too short to dwell on some of these negative things that people got to go through. We all have bills and financial struggles and, and, and marital issues and God knows what else in the world. But as long as you find a way to look at the positive in life, which is so hard to do, especially nowadays, um, things will turn around, man. But again, man, rest in peace to Marion Barber, and uh, he will definitely, definitely be missed. But I think that's going to wrap it up for the episode today, honestly. I hate ending it on a negative note like that. But it was, well said. it was well said, Kev. I, I, I give you that was well said. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah. But no, I mean, that pretty much wraps up the episode. Um, you know, not that all the topics that we needed to. Um, like we said at the top, I mean, we're really focused on this NBA Finals match between the Warriors uh, and the Celtics. It should be a fun one. Uh, this Eastern Conference Finals matchup uh, against the the Lightning and the Rangers should be a fun one. They're really kind of going back and forth in this game one right now. It's 3-2 Rangers right now. So they're really just going to trade What the hell? Yeah, Dude. Yeah, they're just trading goals back right now. So there's like no defense in this game whatsoever. I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa oh. ties this up at 3-3 three to three at the end of the second period. So this, game is, this game is nuts right now. It, but, was um, just two, it was just 2-1 Rangers like four minutes ago before we started the Marion segment. What the I, hell? I know. It, bro, it, it happens quick, my guy. It happens quick. But... um. You know, once again, just thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, whether you guys were listening to us on the YouTube side of things or listening to us on the um, audio aspects like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, you know, pretty much, you know, we're just going to focus on the NBA and a little bit of the NHL right now for the foreseeable future. So we'll just kind of keep that in mind moving forward. And um, we'll have a new episode for you guys. Uh, going into next week uh, we'll record on sunday night and then i'll drop on monday so that's all i got from here kevin floor is yours 
like Kyle said, thank you for all the support. Tomorrow's the game for the NBA Finals. Obviously, by the time you guys listen to it, it'll be tonight. Um, depending on how long the game goes, because it is a 9 p.m. Eastern start time, we may try to get our live reactions as to how game one went. We might post a segment on Friday. Again, it's all dependent. That's why we're recording today, because we know that that game's going to go pretty late. So if it's a quick game, ends at 11.30 midnight, it's not like Kyle and I aren't used to posting something or you know doing something at 1 or 2 in the morning. We try to avoid it because work gets tiring for everybody. So uh, if we have the time and we have the energy, look for an episode. But again, if it's one of those later finishes, and especially if it goes into overtime, yeah. ain't nothing going to happen. But you know we'll see what happens. But uh, like Kyle said, we appreciate everything, and we'll be seeing you guys again soon, man. Yeah. Like Kevin said, see you guys when we see you. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the shit? No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.